today everybody practically carries a device, either a mobile phone or something. You know, now you have connected watches, you have TVs. All these devices have smart functionalities that, you know, gives the user an edge over what they want to do. So, for example, a phone can track your location, can send messages, communicate. Your TV practically does the same thing as well. But here's the thing. When you buy a device, how much of it do you actually own? And how much of it is still controlled by the manufacturer? You know, this is the topic of discussion that we have today. to the Security Lab Podcast. To bring focus into this topic, I'd like to start off with a recent announcement by our good friend Apple, who manufactures our iPhone and iPads. They mentioned that they wanted to have a functionality on child safety. So essentially, uh, the acronym is uh, CSAM, which is specifically on child sexual abuse material. So what they wanted to do is uh, they wanted to make sure that any product that's under Apple, uh, if you receive, say, a picture, they would scan the picture and they would actually tell you that, hey, um, this particular image um, is it safe for consumption? Is it not safe for consumption? Or is it child pornography? Or, or any of those that, that probably has inclination towards those kind of sensitive contents. Now, it's, it's kind of interesting because they've chosen to look at pictures specifically. You know, that, that, that's kind of interesting and, and scary at the same time. So what do you guys think about it? My thought basically is who made them the authority? Who gave them jurisdiction over my personal photos? I mean, frankly speaking, sometimes when I'm exercising, I take off my shirt and I want to see whether my six, my six packs are developing or not, you know? So, you know, they, they could look at me half naked and think that, you know, <laughs> it is a CSAM non-compliance. I mean, seriously speaking, you know, who gave them the authority to come into my space? That's my thought, man. Okay. Uh, personally, I feel, okay, CSAM, I think, CSAM, I think it refers to materials that represents or portrays uh, child exploitation, right? So a child that is in distress or in need of help, they're in the, a very bad place, very bad situation. They're undergoing a very bad situation. But, um, I so the first and there are three announcements to this. The first one with regards to Apple's search app and Siri, whereby if a user search for topics related to that and a picture comes up, they will be, if I'm not mistaken, mistaken, they will be somehow prompted about it. The user themselves will be prompted about it. Uh, if it's just that to that extent, I think it's 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 okay. Um, because I feel 
somehow when it comes to a vulnerable segment like children, you know, um, I feel that steps should be taken to protect them. And if in any way we can deter or make it difficult for the bad people, you know, like uh, child traffickers and things like that, you know, to hmm. to do what they do, I'm all for it. I, I have to stop you there, Kat, because very simply, in order to find a bad apple, you need to look through my entire basket of apples. And I'm not prepared to allow you to see everything just to say that I'm sorry, there is one small apple here that is bad. That, that, that's me, you know. I don't know. These okay. are my thoughts. Okay. Don't, don't come into my space unless I upload it into the public media. That's my choice. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I don't think it should. And, and I don't think they have an algorithm that can pick out bad apples without looking at the good apples as well. Okay. From what I understand, okay, because I'm I'm not a technology person, tech, uh, te- I'm not a tech savvy person, and this is all just based on materials or articles that is already out there. So they say that um, from what I understand from the article is that the the privacy of the user or the person who's viewing it uh, would be somehow intact. So uh, there's only use of algorithm to detect those kind of uh, those materials the analogy that you gave whereby they've got to go through a whole basket of apples to detect the bad apple uh, if it's just if it's just as simple as that then it sounds pretty bad but if they are just looking for certain traits or looking for certain features uh, which will identify um, the 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 bad the bad apple is it so bad is it so bad after all well there's, there's two interesting uh, discussion that, that came out of Sky and, and Cat. So the first one is we, we, we speak about the algorithm that's used. And secondly is, would you want to give someone else access into your own device? So let's look at the first part, the algorithm. Um, based on some of the researchers who were able to download the latest updates of iOS and picked just that part of algorithm out to look at it, the way they did it was they generate a certain hash and they compare that against your image's hash. So a hash is essentially an algorithm that generates a long string of numbers and alphanumeric characters, which gives it a certain kind of character, right? Let's put it that way. And if the hash matches, then it says, oh, okay, this must be a bad picture, right? Without looking at the context, without looking at anything else. But here's the thing, that hash algorithm is broken. So what someone did was they came up with a picture of the dog and they say this is a picture of a a child and the hash matches for both of the pictures, which means that the hash algorithm itself is broken. So your six-pack picture may be flagged out as a child pornography and Sky may end up getting into trouble which is really not what we want. It has to have a context into how we are looking at content and just not looking at it from a, a, a purely hash comparison point of view. And honestly, I don't think we are at that level yet. Yes, we do have AI. We do have all this technology that's come on board. But honestly, I really don't think we are there at that point where we can take two images, 
understand the different unique characteristics and the properties of these images and say, yes, this is child pornography or child sexual abuse versus this is a picture of my dog walking in the lawn. I, I, I totally get you because this is the same this is the same example I gave in one of my presentations before uh, when you when my wife is holding a knife right if you would have an algorithm that says oops somebody is holding a knife danger but what if she's in the kitchen compared to having a knife and she's in the bedroom? So these are the two scenarios, like you mentioned, you know, the context of the picture must also be uh, checked properly rather than, uh, uh, I remember those early days when we talk about uh, data leakage protection, we were looking at uh, uh, also trying to block downloading of pictures and photos. So there was this software, I can't remember what name, even if I do, I, I think it's not fair to mention it here, but Something around the, the idea that if there's 60% skin color, then it's deemed as partial or, or part or pornography or, you know, and, and you're not supposed to download it. So that, that's a software algorithm. Okay. So I think uh, maybe what Apple wants to do is uh, has good intentions, but it's just that the, the execution of it and the technology, the execution of it and the technology is just not ready whereby it can be done in a way that protects privacy still. Yeah, I, I don't mind if this is done by the government or the, the uh, what do you call that? The, the what was that people, the, the, the people like the military, the police, what do you call them? Um, law enforcement agency. Law enforcement agency because they have the right, they have the jurisdiction and we, we, we uh, subscribe to them. All right. Yeah. But, Apple, really? Yeah. A private organization, yeah. Exactly. Basically. Who gave them the authority? That's my first statement. Mm. You're absolutely right, uh, Sky. And uh, I, I, I can share with you some of the initiatives I, uh, we did when nice. I was in the telco. We worked with Interpol and some of the other organizations where we prevent access into child abuse, child pornography websites at the carrier itself. So which means that you cannot visit those websites. Mm -hmm. So like what you rightfully said, you know, who should have access? Should Apple be the one who do that? And personally, in my opinion, um, Apple sells me a device. I buy a device. This device now belongs to me. Yeah. I should have full and unfettered right to use this device in whatever manner I deem fit, right? And it's not Apple's right to now come and tell me, I'm going to look into your phone. I completely subscribe to Sky's and Ocean. Apple should not come into my device and say, oh, yeah, you know, by the way, I'm going to do this. <laughs> no, 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 no. Mm. Never, mm. right? And then the, the question comes, you know, for, you, you, you'll have this this. Uh, people who are very passionate about mobile phones, they'll say, yeah, if you don't like Apple doing that, go and get Android. I'm going to say no. I'm going to push Apple and I'm going to tell them, no, I don't agree with what you do. I'm your customer. I've paid you money. Please make sure you let my device be usable. 
because we get into the slippery slope of you know if you don't like A you go to B because B is going to end up doing the same thing as what A did. So you 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 you're not going to get anyone doing anything different. So the right approach is to put enough pressure on Apple and all the other manufacturers and say, hey, my device is my device. Once you've sold me for exorbitant amount of money, I don't want you to ever have access to my device. Yeah, you can sell me cloud services, whatever not. It's up to me to decide. If I want it, I don't want it. If I don't want it, I want it to be my device. It shall be my device. Period. I I, I remember uh, when I was with uh, another very big IT MNC. Um, they they told me that they want to install an agent on my mobile phone, so that I could access my emails. You know what I told my boss? I said I'm fine not accessing my emails with my mobile phone. I said if you don't want me to uh, access emails using my mobile phones. Which I can uh, give immediate attention to the emails that are coming because I don't have an agent. I am fine with it. I will only access my emails via my laptop when I switch them on. So when I'm traveling, when I'm driving, I'm sorry, I won't have access to emails. Because well, that's a perfectly good point. Because end of the day, BYOD brings that issue to light. Yeah. So the question is, when you install a BYOD agent on your phone. You are essentially giving full and a hundred percent access into your device to someone else, a yeah. corporate admin, right? But end of the day, who owns the device? Exactly. Those days we had Blackberries. Remember? Yeah. We had corporate issued Blackberries. Once the policy gets pushed That's down, that's fine. Yeah. Because end of the day, you know what? They are paying for the device. Correct. I'm just carrying it. I'm perfectly fine with that. Yeah. But me too. If this is my device. I'm paying for it. Look, the I I have personal data inside here which I yeah. don't think anyone else should see. I mean, it goes back to the same argument we had earlier, right? Mm. End of the day, who owns the device, and that person shall set the the policy. And and if the organization wants to give me a device at their own expense, sure, I don't mind carrying it. Okay. And 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 my and sorry, cat. And my argument is also, if Apple has access. To my device, let's say if these things goes out there, they manage to pressure and twist the arms of the big boys, and then they carry through. Then the question is, should my government allow them to do this to me, because I'm protected by the PDPA of Malaysia? So this is also one of the things that we need to think about, and you know, get our government to also rise up. I mean, these guys are from the United States. Enjoying the show so far? Subscribe now so that you don't miss out on the latest episode. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many other platforms. Visit podcast.securitylaw.asia to get the links to subscribe. Yeah, that's the thing. We we uh, I don't see us as a country, not just Malaysia, but Asia as a whole. Yeah, pushing the manufacturers hard enough. For them to say, yeah, you know, these are some of the issues that you need to look at it from the Malaysian context or from the Singaporean context or the Indonesian context. But you know, instead of just looking at it from the US context, and if you look at it in the US now, people have started going towards the right to repair, 
not just locking your devices into one particular manufacturer and only they can repair, but I should be able to open my device. <clears throat> if I need to change a certain component inside my device, I should yeah. have the right because the device belongs to me. I saw you know? the article. But but <laughs> but we've we've gone slightly a bit more off tangent onto on the right to repair. Okay, but okay. I guess from a regulatory point of view, hmm. there's a lot more that can be done in this space. Yeah. And I think government needs to 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 take an active stance. Now, with that, an, an interesting incident happened in South Africa where a bunch of Samsung TVs were stolen. <laughs> TVs lah. That's the big deal, right? So, what happened was Samsung came out with a statement and said, we will disable all those TVs. They cannot be activated, hence the functionality doesn't work. As you know, today, the TVs are now almost 50 to 60% software. So when you turn on your TV, it's the software that's actually booting and running and not your TV. So they disable the TV, which means you can't use it. So that brings an interesting question. Can my TV be disabled? And what's going to happen if my TV gets disabled? And do they have the right to disable my TV? <laughs> and if they can disable my TV, that means they have access to my software, the uh, the, will it also lead to the question of what else are they doing with my TV from a remote location? Exactly, because it seems that what they do is when the TV is about to be activated, they will send your serial number. So when they send the serial number, they have your IP address. They know which IP address is attached to which TV. So they will know that you have one or two or three TVs or whatever. And they will know what kind of TVs, what model, what capabilities you have. Because you're also going to once in a while upload and download software updates into your TV, make sure it's vulnerability-proof. And you're going to do a lot of these things. And it's all software-driven, right? So it goes back to the, the, the core issue. If Samsung can disable my TV, can someone else do the same thing? So I have, I have actually done some thinking and I refuse to buy the same brands for the TVs upstairs and downstairs. <laughs> Spread your money. I I'm I am unfortunately a bit more faithful to a certain brand, which I shall not mention <laughs> on air because I just like their functionalities, right? But here's uh, the thing: I, I think among us we had this discussion, and then I said, now we, we were talking about ransomware a couple of episodes ago. Imagine someone finds out how that kill switch works. And came up with a ransomware yeah. and ransomed all of Samsung TVs, the whole world. That's going to be an interesting conundrum to see when it happens, if it ever happens. Because yeah. I guess if the functionality is already there in the TV for you to disable it, it's just a matter of time for someone to discover that. I mean, this is a remote command coming from one of Samsung servers that's going to be sent to the TV in order for it to be disabled, right? And if that can happen, someone yeah. is smart enough to find out about that, reverse engineer the firmware, find out how the kill switch works. Well, we have a very interesting catastrophe in our hands. I mean, forget about me. I'm a home user. Imagine a sock having all Samsung TVs. Oh. <laughs> that would be nice. Pandemonium at its <clears throat> best. You know, it's like, yeah, our seam is running. Our sock is okay, but... Our TVs are all dead. Our TVs are all out. 
And who Oops. among the three of us has a sock? <laughs> oh. Oops. <laughs> I, I'm not naming anyone. <laughs> no, actually, that, that that's a good attack, you know. You disable communications and, and that's it, man. No, simple. Your security systems are running, but you can't see Jack. Yeah. <laughs> your, your displays are all off. And someone launches an, an attack right at that time. You have the alarms blaring, but you can't see the attack. So guess what happens when SOC, everybody's like, hey, we're under attack, but we yeah. have no clue. Wow, no, nah, they can still see it on their they can still see it on their uh laptop screen. Yeah, but you know in, in an SOC, usually you have all these big screens. A combined screen. Pop out all these alerts and flashes. You know, you have yeah. a world map, your pew pew map and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you know, just to say, hey, my, my sock is working, you know. Yeah, yeah, true, true. But I always yeah. wonder, you know, with but, all these nice big screens, uh, how many sock analysts actually look up to see those screens or they're all buried in their own tiny little screen that they have in front of their table? Actually, you're right. Only the managers look at the big screens. The analysts all look at their own small ones. Yeah, that's a good topic to have for another day. Yeah. What actually happens in an SOC? You know, we should actually get someone Who's, who's done some SOC work to spill the tea on this because I'm very sure there's some juicy stuff in there that nobody wants to know or nobody I, wants to tell. I will probably have to mask my voice then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, by no, the way, no, yeah. I, I, I caught your statement just now and it, gave, it, it, it actually put me into thinking. You see, reverse engineering a software inside a smart TV to see where it goes back to, how does it communicate to the server? It's not difficult. And now with Android TVs, it's practically taking yeah. the whole Android OS and the apps, reverse engineering it, and that's it. So you because just have would to be. look at it in the Correct. fundamental way. They, they, they definitely will be a hard-coded IP and some communication. You, you may even find clear text username and passwords in there, you know? Absolutely agree. <laughs> I'm just hoping someone picks up on this topic after this podcast and actually does something about it. And if you do, don't forget to give a shout out to security. Yeah, La, man. Because we gave you the idea, man. <laughs> because you know it's it's an auto, it's an auto command. That means it's already inside the, the codes. Yeah. Anyway, the first time I heard about Android-based TVs coming out, I was, I'm not even a cybersecurity professional. I'm just a, a, a media person, a news person. And I was like already thinking, I was already imagining the worst. These TVs are going to get hacked. <laughs> Am I <Okay>. too paranoid? <laughs> well, I changed you... my downstairs Samsung TV already. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's an issue that everyone in the whole world now has. Uh, anyone who has a TV now has to sit down and figure out what you're going to do with it uh, because now a lot of applications are coming out and on Android. Uh, you know, your your over-the-top applications, your movie streaming applications, all this is coming on Android and, and some people even invest on an Android box just so that they can download these kind of apps and, and, and stream movies and content and media. So we're not going to hear the last of it but this is definitely going to be the first and the most interesting one that we've discovered uh, related to hardware 
and how much control a manufacturer has uh, over our devices. I mean, they've sold it to us, and yet they still have some level of control. So, yeah, yeah. So and, this is a and, developing story, and and maybe we might do another one in the in the future where uh, if something does go wrong, then we probably. Tell everyone, hey guys, the guys at security la said so. You know, they yes. should listen to the podcast. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We said it first. <laughs> yeah, we said it first. We yeah, just... we don't want to. We don't want to end a discussion with a very negative uh, connotation. So, on the positive side, uh, I just experienced something recently. All right, this is a very positive on one end. Uh, I have my Netflix account. And because I always look at alerts that comes to my phone, and that comes to me by Gmail because I have two factors and all that. And what happened was I got a notice to say that uh, basically uh, somebody was accessing my Netflix account from London. All right. So what happened was uh, the moment I saw the the notification on my email. I mean, I I have my mobile with me. I went in. Uh, I don't have anyone in London, so what I did was I immediately went in to change my password, and then it was okay. So on the good, on the positive side, you know, you gotta you gotta. How do you protect against this stuff? Issues is to keep alert on notifications or rather parameters that you have set up. For example, two-factor authentication, you know, new device logging in, notify you. Many of us fail to protect because we were callous in not looking at some of these things that gives us signs. All right. So I think one of the things that you we have to be very careful would be like SMS notifications. Somebody is using, but of course, don't go and click on the link that they give you if they give you a link. You know. At least you are notified. You can call the bank directly. You know, things like that. So these are the things that I keep myself, and I also told my children and my family to always look out for. Look out for those notifications. Don't click on the link. Go back into the account and take a look. So these are, you know, it just happened to me two days ago. Mm. You know. Okay. Thank you. So these are something positive that that uh, I think we can end the discussion on the TV song. <laughs> Thanks for the light at the end of the tunnel, Sky. <laughs> Thanks for joining us this week on Security Lab. Make sure to visit our website at securitylab.asia, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show.